Welcome to the Forward Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Now let's get ready to dive into today's message. We know you'll be blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. This is uh, something that we started last week. I hope this, this message uh, really encouraged you. I approached the, the second coming from a different perspective than I ever have before. Um, one of the main takeaways from last Sunday, just real quick to review, um, you know, everybody is asking, are we living in the last days? How many of y'all, I've even asked that question. How many of y'all have heard that question asked? Are we living in the last days? I've heard that question. Truth be known, that's really a silly question. We're living in the only days we have. We're living in, you are living in the only days that God has given you. You've got only so many days uh, assigned to your life on the face of this earth. And so I, I challenged our congregation last Sunday. I said, look, if you knew the answer to that question was a definite yes, and you knew that it, you know, if that was the case, then you would change something. I said, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Go ahead and change that because we're living in the only days we have. Now, if you want to know the truth of that question, I do believe we are living in the latter days, in the last days, and God is doing something miraculous in these last days. Biblical prophecy is being, being fulfilled right before our eyes. When the end times are in the New York times, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. When the end times are in the New York times, I'm telling you, biblical prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. Last week was more about, when I, when I was talking about the second coming, it was more about the, um, the why. why. Why is the second coming important? And really refocusing our hearts on the, uh, on the why of the second coming. Today we're going to be uh, covering the what. I'm going to deal with the what today. And, and we'll, we'll talk about the when and all later. But I want to deal with the what today. Here's, hold, hold your breath. We're going to cover the entire book of Revelation today. No main, te- no main text. We're covering the entire book of Revelation today. Um, today we're going to be diving into part two of the second coming. Will you pray with me? One more time, God, I come before you, and I thank you, God, for this word that you've downloaded into my spirit, God. God, I need your anointing upon these lips. Let everything I say, everything I do, let it bring glory and honor to your name. God, I pray, Lord, let these words pierce the hearts of this congregation, that we would just be hearers of your word, but doers. And I give you all the glory, I give you all the praise for everything that's accomplished in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. And everybody said, fist fist bump your neighbor and tell them, get ready. So revelation, revelation means unveiling. It means unveiling. And and so John wrote the book of Revelation. There's an old song that we used to sing, John the Revelation. Y'all know what I'm talking about, John the Revelation. So John wrote the book of Revelation as Christ was unveiling these things to him. You know, Jesus Christ is actually, the book of Revelation, when it starts out, it talks about the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that John is really noticing in the book of Revelation is he's witnessing Christ. He's seeing Jesus in all of his glory. How many of y'all are a little envious of that? John is seeing Jesus in all of his glory. And as Jesus is revealing himself to John, as John is caught, the Bible says he was caught up to heaven on the Lord's day and he's witnessing these things and Jesus is speaking to John and he's revealing these things to John and he says write these things down 
What things are we talking about? Well, they are, there's really six major events. Six major events in the book of Revelation. Now, there's a lot of things that happen, but if you can, just for simple, uh, practical learning today, I'm going to teach you a little bit, and then I'm going to preach, okay? Is that okay? There's six practical things or six e major events in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm going to cover those six things really quick. Are y'all ready? The first event is the church age. The church age is what we're living in right now. We find this in Revelation 2 through 3. And so these seven churches that, that Jesus is talking about is actually seven real churches in Asia Minor back in, in the time when John was penning this, 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 this book. But if you will, they also represent, and I, I won't get too far out today, but they also rep represent seven uh, errors or time during the church age. I, I believe that with all of my heart. One of which I think that we're living in right now, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But that's the first major um, event or the first major uh, 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 section, if you will, of the book of Revelation. The second major event that we find in the book of Revelation is the rapture of the church. Can I get an amen? Y'all need to get a whole lot more excited about the rapture of the church. Can I get an amen? amen. Revelation chapter 4, you find an event... The world, see, the, the, the people's always um, debating over, over the rapture of the church. Well, I don't see that word rapture. You see the, the catching up or the calling up or the snatching up of the saints. That's what the, the word rapture means. And so you see that event taking place in Revelation chapter 4. And now here's a very important part or point to this, this event. After Revelation chapter 4 and the rapture of the church, the word church is never mentioned in the rest of the book of Revelation. That's why I believe in a pre-trib rapture. I told the congregation last Sunday, I'm going up on the first elevator. You can wait for the second elevator if you want to. If you're waiting for the third, I'm praying for you is all I'm saying. But I'm going up on the, I believe in a pre-trib rapture. Because the word church is really never mentioned again in the book of Revelation after that event. The next major event that you find in the book of Revelation, after, this is the third major event, is, is, is the tribulation. How many of y'all have ever heard of the tribulation? Wave your hand at me. We read about this in Revelation 6 through 19. This is a seven-year period where the wrath of God is being poured out on the earth. But it begins with a guy called Antichrist. How many of y'all have ever heard of, of, of a guy by the name of uh, Antichrist, if you will, or referred to as Antichrist? Now, the Antichrist isn't called that at first. He's actually going to be like a politician or a real famous person that brings peace to the Middle East. And that's really what's going to happen. For the first three and a half years of tribulation, you're going to find this, 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 this peace that's being established by this, this antichrist, if you will, along with false, the false prophet and, and, and all of that. I, I, like I said, I don't have time to get into details. I'm trying to break this down simple. But then something happens all of a sudden. The last three and a half years, first three and a half years was peace. Last three and a half years is going to be what? War. The, 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 ob the, the, the sacrificial object of desolation will be sacrificed on the temple altar the Antichrist will be revealed, and then 
really all war breaks loose from that point forward. The last three and a half years of tribulation is war. And I just want to make a point right here. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 6 tells us, it says that the Antichrist can't be revealed until the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. So the great restrainer is what 2 Thessalonians uh, uh, tells us. That, and so that's just another reason we are the temple of who? The Holy Spirit. And the Antichrist can't be revealed until the Holy Spirit is gone from the earth. As long as you and I on the face of this earth, we've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So all the more reason, take heart today. I believe that we're going to be caught up in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, before the wrath of God, before the seven-year tribulation. A lot of metaphors John is using right here in this section of Revelation. John is seeing things he doesn't quite understand. He's seeing this war taking place. He's seeing helicopters. He's seeing uh, jet airplanes. And he's witnessing all of these, this, this, this war happening. And so John is using a lot of metaphors. He's using you know, terms like, I, I don't know, to, to describe helicopters and, and all of this that, that's taking place in the last days. He don't quite understand these things, so he's jotting them down as only he knows how to describe them. But then, during this battle of Armageddon, the battle breaks out, and all of, a, all of a sudden, it brings us to the next major event. What's the next major event? The second coming of Christ. Now, I want you to understand something. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ is not the same event. A lot of people get that misunderstood. The second coming... And the rapture is not the same event. The rapture takes place, tribulation, and then the second coming. We read about the second coming in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. I'm going to read that to you. This is John writing. He said, I saw, a hev I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. Now, who is John referring to right here? Jesus Christ. With justice... He judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. What is the name? Nobody knows. Nobody knows except himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. Who's the armies of heaven? We're going to be riding on white horses. We're going to be dressed in white. Kevin White, old evangelist, used to sing a song about this. We, yes, Lord, we will ride. I'm telling you, there's coming a day where the armies of heaven, and guess what? We're not even going to have to lift a finger. We're, not going to have, we're just there, I guess, just to look good. I don't know. I guess that's the only reason we're there. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth, What's he going to do? He's going to speak the word coming out of his mouth, a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can I tell you, I'm thankful we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I just want to encourage somebody. You win if you don't quit. I've said that time and time again. I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face. As long as you don't quit, as long as you stay faithful, as long as you stay committed to Jesus Christ, all you've got to be is on his side. 
You don't, you, we don't have to fight here. He's going to fight. He's going to speak. And every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. This is basically the last moment of the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus steps out, he puts his foot down on the Mount of Olives, and then, it's it. It's it. Jesus comes, and it's settled. Then you move on to the next major event, the Great White Throne Judgment. I mean, y'all, how many of you have ever heard of this, the Great White Throne Judgment? You find this in the book of Revelation chapter 20. Let me read it to you. Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12. John writing, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Basically, everyone is going to stand before the throne of God. Everyone is going to stand before this judgment seat. Everyone's standing before the throne. And the Bible says, and books were opened. Somebody say books. So you got multiple books right here. You don't just have one book. You have multiple books. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. What is so important about here? What do we see here? Basically, there's two ways to be judged. When you stand before this great white throne, there's going to be two ways that you can be judged. One of the ways is by the books, plural. What is in the books? Everything that you and I have ever done. Everything. Nothing is hidden. If that don't scare you, just take a moment, think about some of the things that we've done in our life. And we can be judged according to those things. Or we can be judged according to the book. What's the book? The Lamb's book of life. Because no matter what is written in the books, as long as your name is written in the book, can I tell you one drop? of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ covers everything that was written in the books. The, 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 the books might say you're guilty. The books are going to say I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. But can I tell you that there's another book over here and if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you might be guilty, but can I tell you, you have an advocate with the Father this morning, and his name is Jesus Christ, and his blood washes your sins away as far as the east is from the west. Come on. And then there's one last event that takes place. The new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21 through 22, we, we read about the new heaven and the new earth. This new heaven... New Jerusalem, new earth, everything comes back into order. Everything comes back to the way God intended it to be from the very, from the, the very beginning. The Bible says that the lying and the lamb will lie down together. The, the carnivorous instinct of the, the lion will be subdued. No longer will even creation have the same tendencies anymore. That See, sin has tainted. There is nothing in creation that sin has not touched. 
All of creation has been touched by sin. And at this moment, everything is coming back the way God intended it to be. All creation, the lion and the lamb will live, live together. And one of the most awesome things that I read about when I study these last couple of chapters of Revelation, the Bible says that every tribe, every nation, every tongue will live together in harmony. Can I tell you all this racial tension that we have in the world today? Jesus Christ is going to settle it once and for all. He's going to come. He's going to bring restoration. He's going to bring unity. He's going to bring the church back together the way she's intended to be. I don't have time to get into all that, but if you want to, you know, there's a lot of people that believe certain things about that, that we're all going to, you know, look the same and be this and that and the other. The Bible says every tribe, every nation, every language, every, every tongue. You believe what you want to believe, but I believe what the Bible says. Amen? So here's the thing. Let me transition here. If I had a main text today, this is what it would be. So if you don't hear any other scripture I read today, hear this scripture. Revelation 19, verse 7. Are you all ready? Let us rejoice. Look at your neighbor and say, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. How many of y'all are part of how many of y'all are part of the bride of Christ? Can you testify and say, I'm a part of the bride of Christ today? I'm part of the church. So what is today about? Today about is about the bride getting herself ready. If I could subtitle this message, it would be the second coming, here comes the bride. Because I want to go back to the first event. I want to go back to that first section in the book of Revelation. It's the church age. Because here's what's important about that. I want us to be reminded, first and foremost, of the vision that God has given us this year. I guarantee you, if I polled the congregation, wouldn't half of y'all remember what the vision is for this year. 2023, the year of engagement. See, if this is all about the bride, and I don't have time to get back into the engagement and, and all that took place during a Jew, Jewish wedding, how the bride would leave and prepare herself while the groom was preparing a place for her. But can I tell you, we're living in that time. We're living in that time. And what, what is so awesome is that Jesus is basically through these seven churches revealing to us or showing you and I the type of bride or the type of church that he wants to come back for. And basically, all of these seven churches, besides one, he's saying, I got this against you. Or, I got, or I'm, bragging you, I'm bragging about you about this. You're doing this right. But here's this one thing over here that I want you to change. And so let's look at this. The first church that he shows us is this church by the name of Ephesus. What is Ephesus doing? What, what, is, what is the message that Jesus is trying to communicate to us through the church of Ephesus? Jesus said, you need to return to your first love. Return to your first love. Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the, the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Somebody say, get ready. Now, you can say the lampstand represents different things in this scripture. I, I, I'm a firm believer that it represents Jesus Christ. 
I'm a firm believer that the lampstand represents Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit, if you will. Even the Holy Spirit can be maybe an accurate depiction of, of what the lampstand represents in the Scripture. But here's the point I want to make. We can argue over what the lampstand represents, but there's one thing that I know for sure, and what's that one thing? I don't want it removed. I'm trying not to get too heavy on controversial theology today. But Jesus himself is, is, is speaking to John to give this message to the church of Ephesus. If you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Now whatever that is, I don't want, I don't want to be a part of it. I want to be a church that, that repents. I want to be a church that returns to our first love. And sometimes, you know what? We just got to go back to the basics. Sometimes we just got to get back to loving God and loving people. Sometimes we get all construed up in all of these things in, in the world today, and we get our, our minds so focused on the things that don't matter. But I think what Jesus is telling his bride right here, return to what matters most. And what matters most is that you love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And if you do that, the rest will take care of itself. Return to your first love. The lampstand right here, I don't want it removed from this church. I don't want the, Holy, I don't want the presence of God. I don't want that lampstand removed from forward church. I want to be a church that has... God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus at the center of it all. Amen? The second church you, you see, the second church you see in, in this scripture is the church by the name of Smyrna. What is the message that Jesus is communicating to Smyrna? Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Let's read it. Revelation 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful. Look at your neighbor and say, be faithful. 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 Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Can I tell you that we are never promised that we won't face persecution. Wrath of, the wrath of God and persecution are two separate things. And so many people are getting the times that we're living in all misunderstood. We're, we are, there, there's a time, there, we are living in a times where the church is being persecuted. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. The, the American church is not being persecuted any like the church across the seas are. There, there's church, there, there is Christians in other nations that are being beheaded for saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. So can I tell you, we've still got it okay here in America. I know you and I are facing a little persecution, but it's nothing compared to what other brothers and sisters in Christ around this world are going through. So let's, let's not get too whiny. <laughs> let's don't get too whiny over here. Let's grow up. Let's, let's, let's put our, our big boy pants on, and let's realize that, that Jesus is still with us, and if God be for us, who can be against us? Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon this rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he said this. He said, all of that is contingent upon you being faithful. Be faithful. Endure. Run that race. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it's not about 
how you start. It's about how you finish. A lot of people start well. I can, I can go back through a list of 12 to 1,400 names in our database that started well, but I'm only staring at a congregation between the two services this morning of about 500 people. And can I tell you, it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. We're all excited when things start. Jesus saved me. Jesus redeemed me. Man, I'm on fire for God. Praise God. But don't let that fire go out. It's not an issue with the fire supplier. Sometimes it's an issue with the one who tends the fire. And, 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 and I, I, this ain't even in my, in my notes. This is for free today. It's our job to tend the fire. It's, it's, it's our job to, to make sure the ashes on the altar of our heart are, are cleaned out. And re- how, do, how do we do that? Repent. Go back to the first church. Repent. See, it's not that you have to physically shovel the ashes like the Old Testament priest would do and carry them outside the, the camp. Just thank God that we have a high priest in heaven and his name is Jesus Christ. And I come before him 24-7, 365. Say, God, I repent. Get in this word. We're going to talk about that too. The third church, Pergamum. Reject, Jesus said this, he said, reject doctrinal extremes. I got to get through this because this is so, this is so important. Reject doctrinal extremes. Revelation 2, verse 14. He said, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Ooh, he's got a few things against this church. Man, somebody say, uh-oh. Got a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. So there's one thing right there. Here's, here's another thing. He said, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So you have two teachings right here, do you not? Two teachings. Number one, they were holding to the teaching of Balaam. Number two, they were holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, what does this mean? Balaam is a type of teaching that says, do what you want to do. Live like you want to live. Oh, you got your idols over here? Go have fun with those idols. Sexual immorality? Have fun. Live like you want to live. If we could put a term on it today, it would be something I call a hyper grace. Hyper grace. Now, thank God, his grace is sufficient. But Paul, I believe, worded it this way. Should I keep on sinning so that his grace should abound? And he answers his question. He says, of course not. See, God's grace doesn't give us a license to sin and live like the way we want to live. And so, first and foremost, don't hold to that teaching. But the other extreme of that is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. What were the Nicolaitans? If you sneeze wrong, you're going to hell. That was the Nicolaitans. Oh, you didn't wear a three-piece suit to church today? Get out. You didn't take a shower last night? No, I'm just playing. I had to lighten it up a little bit. It was this, hear my heart, hyper truth. All truth 
and no grace. And I'm not saying those things are true, but what I am saying is this. They, hold, they held fast to just this religion, this following the rules, following the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, you're, 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 you're out. We see this today. We see this today. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to be bold up here. When we, were in, um, when we were on Sand Mountain, when we were in Fife, close to Rainsville, it was one of the most hardest, it was one of the hardest places to reach prodigal children. What do I mean by prodigal children? I mean people who, who came to the knowledge of the, of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, but then backslid through whatever reason, little by little, they made choices and they, they, the world overcame them and they went back out into the world because here's why it was hard to reach that, that demographic. And here's why, because this, there was this um, holiness, and not in the biblical sense of holiness, but a holiness religion there that basically, if you backslid, you're done with. There's no hope. And they just told them, go on somewhere. There's no hope for you. And that's what the Nicolaitans was doing. And see what Jesus was telling us, you can't have one without the other. You can't have grace without truth. Jesus is the perfect example. When he came onto the scene, he extended truth, but he did it in grace. And we can't have all truth with no grace, but we can't have all grace with no truth. Come on, somebody. we got to be a church that loves God and loves people, speaks the truth, but does it in grace. The fourth church. The music has already began, and we got four, five, six. We got four more, four or five more churches. We can do it. Come on, somebody. Thyatira, remove impurity. Revelation 2, 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Man, I wish I could. Mm. Who calls herself a prophetess. By, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, there's a lot of people today that is changing their theology to fit the way they want to live. That is the doctrine, that is the spirit of Jezebel that is loose on the world today. I could, I could put so many uh, specific sins on, on, on the doctrine or the spirit of Jezebel. But can I tell you the underlying principle of it all is people are changing their theology to fit their lifestyle instead of changing their lifestyle to fit the theology of the Word of God. But I'm telling you, this Word doesn't change. I don't care. Lord, help me. I'm saying this in love. It doesn't, sometimes, sometimes this hurts. It hurts sometimes. But you know, when it hurts, that's, that's the Holy Spirit showing me, hey, Justin, that's an area I want you to, I want you to change. When, when he pricks my heart, he's showing me something. He's revealing to me, and I've got to change it. I've got two choices to make. I can ignore it, and I can choose to change the, the theology to match my, my lifestyle, or I can change my lifestyle to match the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to change our lifestyle to match the Word of God. The fifth church, Sardis, renew your purpose. We'll talk about this a little more in depth next week, but I want to read this scripture to you. Revelation 3, verses 2 and 3. Wake up! Wake up! And I really do believe that this is an, an era that the church went through. This was a time where the church was just asleep. And if we're not careful, we're going to fall back into that today. Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. We've, we've still, there's still land to conquer. 
there's still souls to be saved. As long as you and I still have lost family and lost friends and lost loved ones, our job, our deeds are not done yet. Come on, somebody, can I get an amen right there? Number six, Philadelphia. This is actually the only church that didn't receive any criticism. But what he did say, he said, revere the word of God. Keep this word first. He said, Revelation 3, verse 8, I know that you have a little strength, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. See, I want you to understand something. The love that we have for this word, the hunger that we have for this word, that's, that's going to be the guideline to which we live our life. What you desire, your what you desire and what you thirst after, you will, you will eventually gravitate to. And I want to be a church that reveres the word, that hungers after that thirst, that cannot live a moment without consuming this word. It's, it's the way we live our life. And last but not least, the seventh church, Laodicea. Repent of lukewarmness. Now, if you want to know my opinion, and this is just pastor's opinion, take it for what it's worth. This is the age, this is the specific era of the church age that we're living in right now. The last days, the seventh era, if you will. And this is the condition of the church, if you want to know my personal opinion, okay? Revelation 3, 15 through 17. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. What does that mean? We're just going through the motions. Just going through the motions. We're just showing up. Cracking open a hymnal and reading the words off the page. Sitting there while the preacher's preaching, about to fall asleep. Just checking a box. Because that's just what we were, that's just what you're supposed to do, right? It's just what you're supposed to do. No. He said, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one of the other. I preached a message on this a while back, by the way, what the coolness, the cold, and, and the hot represents. So many people's got that misunderstood, but he said this, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. That's, that's really, if you look at the condition of the church in America today, you cannot find a better picture of this. We think we have all we need in our man-made systems and structures, in our buildings, in our we're blessed and God has blessed us. But we need to understand where our blessings come from. And it's one thing for people to walk in a, 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 a immaculate building and 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 find organization. There's nothing wrong with organization. God is a God of structure. God is a God of organization. But if you have organization and structure and buildings and, 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 and all of that, and you don't have the fire of God, you don't have the presence of God, you don't have the glory of God, if you don't have conviction in the church, come on somebody, if, you, if, if, if you're void of the glory of God in the church, nothing matters. You say I'm rich and you've acquired wealth and don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you are wretched. You're poor. You think you're rich, but you're poor. You're pitiful. Lord, how mercy. That hurts my toes to even read it. 
You're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. But here's the awesome thing about God. Everybody stand. I, I've got to close. God never gives us instructions without giving us the opportunity to apply them to our life. God never says, change this, or do this, or don't do this, and then just, all right, have fun with that. No, he, he, he says, he, he gives us instructions, and then he says, here's your opportunity. It's just like right now. I just preached the word, and you've got an opportunity. You've got an opportunity. You can just say, man, that was a good word, pastor. Thank you for sharing that. Or you can actually apply them to your life. Because Revelation 3, verse 20, the last scripture I'm going to read, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and what? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So what, what is this altar call about today? This altar call is about any one of the seven things that I just talked about. Maybe some of you are here and you need to return to your first love. Maybe you've gotten it all out of order over here. Return to your first love. Maybe you've got doctrinal extremes in your life. Maybe you, you're living under that hyper grace. Pastor, I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm out here. I'm living it up. Man, where's the transformation is where I would say. There's got to be transformation somewhere. God can do it. I can't do it. He can. Maybe... Maybe you're on the other extreme over here. Maybe, maybe you're that person that looks over there at that person and you're like, yeah, they need to go to the altar. That's where most of the church is today. We're, we're always like, every time, the, every time pastor gives an altar call, man, that person over there, they really need to go to the altar. Man, I, know, I, I, saw, <laughs> I, saw, I saw something the other day when I was scrolling, and that person, they, that person, maybe it would help, maybe it would help first if, if we went to the altar. Maybe before we pointed a finger at someone else, what's, what's the Bible say about that? You, you, well, they, they talk about, like, you've got you're looking at the speck in that person's eye, and you got a big old plank board hanging up. Okay? So I challenge every single one of us right now. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to step down here, and I'm going to be the first one in the altar today. Pastor, you've got stuff you need to pray about? You better believe it. I told my staff this morning during staff prayer, I said, I said if, this, if this altar call doesn't get at least 90% of the people in the altar today, then we're all lukewarm. Mm. Amen or oh me. Return to your first love. Reject doctrinal extremes. Any one of these things that, that touched your life, any one of these things that pricked your heart, renewing your purpose maybe you've lost your purpose whatever the case may be i don't have time to go th back through all seven but i'm going to tell you this 
if you'll pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, show me. As a matter of fact, just close your head, close your eyes, bow your heads, and just pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, show me. Show me, God. Show me those areas. Show me those things. And when he shows you, repent. Say, God, change me. Change me, O Lord. Change me. Bring me back to where I need to be. But don't stop right there. Once, he, once you confess those things, once you repent of those things, in, in the house, your temple is swept, swept clean. The heart, your heart is swept clean. Don't just say, show me and change me, but then pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me, God, with your presence. Fill me, Lord, with your love. Fill me, Lord, with your grace and your truth. Fill me, love, with purpose. Fill me with passion. Right now, I'm going to pray. And if, we, if, if you need prayer this, this morning over every, any one of these things or every one of these things, there's going to be an altar team up here. And we're going to be here waiting on you to pray with you for whatever you need this morning. As soon as I say amen, these altars are open. I'm going to pray. God, I love you. And I thank you, God, for this word that you've downloaded into my spirit. God, and I pray, Lord, right now that you would move as only you can, Father. God, I know, Lord Jesus, we've had so many, we've had so much going today, God, as far as the moving of your spirit, God, and, 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 and signs and wonders and miracles, God, and an outpouring. But, God, this intimate moment right here is a time for us to look within, God, and to say, God, what is it in me, in my life, in my heart, that I need to change, God, or that I may need to surrender or repent to you, God. And God, so show us those things and draw us, God, to an altar of repentance today, God. Bring us back. Help us to be a bride, God, without spot or blemish, God. Help us to be a bride, Lord Jesus, God, that you would, God, that you are, 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 are so drawn to, God, in these last days, God, because I want to be a part, God, of what you have in these last days. In Jesus' name. Amen. These altars are open. Come on, let's pray. God, I love you, Lord Jesus. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with our most recent episodes. To find out more, visit us at forwardchurchonline.com. There you can connect with us, learn more about our ministries, and submit any prayer requests you may have. We hope you join us again soon.